Are you a prospective college athlete or the parent of one? Well, then look no further than Gold Standard Athletes to give your child or yourself the best edge in the recruiting process. Gold Standard Athletes not only preps you for the recruiting process, but helps you look the part. With amazing merchandise and great recruiting tips, protein drinks, and more, and their monthly boxes that they give out to their athletes, Gold Standard Athletes sets you up to do your best. They are, without a doubt, the best in the business to get you recruited, to get you found straight out of high school, and get you chasing your dreams. So if you're a prospective college athlete and you want to chase your dreams, go to GoStandardsAthletes.com to purchase yourself a box of recruiting tips, protein drinks, merchandise, and more to help you not only look the part, but fit the part. Go to GoStandardAthletes.com to fit the part and be your best self. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is a second generation former Marine. In, on June 23rd, 2012, her whole life changed. But despite all the physical and mental adversity she's had to overcome, she consistently exceeds expectations, continuing to participate in physical activities and now making it a goal to by 2021 climb the highest peak on each of the seven continents she's an incredible woman and one of the most i think inspirational and motivational human beings i have ever heard of ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show kirsty ennis how are you doing hey i'm doing well i appreciate you having me on <laughs> so kind of going from you know the most recent big thing how was your experience at the sbs winning the pat tillman award for service yeah, um, well, actually, it's kind of a funny story. Um, you know, I've been to the SBs two other years, um, and when ESPN, the bookers, called me, I had just gotten home from Everest, and, you know, they said, hey, we want you to come out to the SBs again this year, and initially I said, I'm going to politely, you know, decline. Um, you know, I, I just came up Everest, I'm wrecked, I'm beat, and uh, they actually said, well, you're actually getting stage time, you're receiving an award, and, um, you know, my, my brain immediately went to, you know, best adaptive female or something along those lines, and so again, I tried to, like, wiggle my way out of it, and um, in turn, they actually let me know that I was, in fact, uh, receiving the Pat Tillman Award, and in that moment, there was no way that I, I couldn't go. Um, to me, that's just, I mean, that's a tremendous honor, and, and to me, like, just like the top level of recognition at the ESPYs, so definitely um, an absolute honor. I'm not sure that I've even processed all of it yet myself. Uh, a little overwhelming to be celebrated in that you know that capacity in front of all those amazing athletes and, and public figures and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience and obviously just reinforced what I'm doing and continued to, to motivate me to continue. So, uh, yeah, just, it was huge. <laughs> <laughs> so the other um, thing you just mentioned in that that's recently been going on is the Mount Everest excursion. Can you kind of take myself and my listeners through what happened with that? Yeah, um, so on April 1st, 2019, I sought out on my Everest attempt. So it's about a 10-day trek into base camp, which, um, you know, trekking is, is worse for me. <laughs> you know, on one leg, 
I I just have a hell of a time walking on flat terrain. Now, if you give me tools and I can climb vertical, then I'm great. Um, but the first 10 days of my expedition were absolutely brutal. Um, and then I'm not sure how much everybody knows about climbing Everest, but the traditional way um, is to climb high and sleep low. So really, when it's all said and done, you climb Everest a couple of times. Um, you know, you'll go up to Camp 1 through the Kumba Icefall, and then you come all the way back down to base camp. Go up to Camp 3 and all the way back down to base camp. So I ended up spending about two months out there. Um, and again, it was absolutely brutal. It was killer, but amazing. Um, all the same, I learned so much about myself, obviously the outdoors, the mountains, and then just patience and respect for the other climbers. Um, all of the pictures that you guys have been seeing are absolutely accurate. Um, I was smart enough to actually do what's called threading the needle. I went a week before, you know, all of those other essentially 300 people went. Um, I knew that these big commercial groups were looking to summit um, during a, a little bit longer of a, of a weather window, and I wasn't willing to put myself in that position, obviously to risk um, life or another limb in my case, nor was I willing to do that for you know my climbing partners. So we decided that we would go a week early, and um, it's actually kind of funny. Like, I didn't see anybody <laughs> on that ridge line. Uh, you know, that picture that's circulating is pretty intense, Um you know, there's a hundred, there's hundreds of people in that line, and I was actually up there by myself. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously that experience on itself was unreal. Uh, but I actually only made it to the South Summit. Um, I say only lightly, but so it's about 200 meters from the proper Lake Hollywood Summit that everyone glorifies and talks about. Uh, so, kind of tore up my heartstrings, you know, to be a stone's throw away from from the highest point in the world. But, um, you know, I've use the mentality at this point that I left a piece of my heart on Everest and I have to go back for it. Um, and, and the reality is that, you know, me and my team could have made it to the top shore, but, um, my two climbing partners ran out of oxygen. And again, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if something happened to them, uh, while they were climbing with me. So, uh, hard pill to swallow. Um, but, you know, I'm pretty proud of me and my team for not letting ego or summit fever get in the way. And yeah, we're just going to go back for it at 2021. Well, it was very admirable to, you know, reason the situation out and decide, you know what, this is this can be done again and to be have the oxygen and not risk your life and your fellow climbers' lives. So I have a ton of respect for you upon everything else for that. Um so you did mention twenty twenty one. So what is the goal for by twenty twenty one to have reached all the highest peaks or can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, um, well, so honestly, it all depends on funding. Um, so I, I do all of these climbs for charity um, and to you know bring access to medical device technology to third world countries. Um, you know, fundraise and support other deserving nonprofits. And I, you know, my nonprofit actually provides individual scholarships, but I actually self fund all of my climbs. You know, I don't take a salary from my foundation or anything. So. It really depends on my funding and, um, you know, if I have sponsors step up and want to be a part of this. But um, I'll actually go down to Ecuador uh, this next month, this September, um, and do a training climb down in Cotopaxi and bring some recycled prosthetics to amputee orphans and um, um, some other people that are in need of prosthetic limbs down there. And then this summer, um, in May of 2020, I'll go back and reattempt Denali, the highest point in North America. And then, um, God willing, I'll have the funding to be able to do Vincent in the winter of 2020, hopefully December, uh, which is the highest point in Antarctica, and then finish it off with um, a summer um, of 2021 ascent of, of Everest. Fingers crossed. <laughs> that is an insane amount of um, goals to achieve, but 
of all the people in the world, with your story and your past, there's no doubt in my mind that you can do it as long as, you know, the funding is there. And uh, I do want to talk about the foundation and, you know, how you can fund and everything later on. But I do want to get into, um, you mentioned, you know, the one leg, and I didn't flat out say it in the intro, but I mentioned, you know, June 23rd, 2012. Um, we can only, we can get into this as much as you feel comfortable. I don't know how much you want to, but um, do you want to kind of tell my listeners what happened um, from your perspective? Yeah, well, so I served in the United States Marine Corps for six years as a helicopter door gunner and airframe mechanic. And I did two deployments to Afghanistan, and while serving as an aerial door gunner, so a 50 caliber machine gunner for the helicopters, um, my helicopter went down on June 23rd, 2012, right outside of a forward operating base called Nauzad in the southern Helmand province of Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, it, it really is. It was a, the dividing line in my life. Um, as a result of the helicopter crash, um, you know, I sustained some pretty severe injuries, everything from a left leg above the knee amputation to a pretty severe traumatic brain injury, damage to my spinal cord, my arms, my ears, my eyes. Um, you know, I actually, you know, my face was destroyed. Um, and so I had years of recovery. And, and to be totally honest, my recovery, had, you know, still ongoing. It's never going to be to be over, really, with the things that I sustained. But, uh, you know, I look back on that helicopter crash and... Uh, you know, I could sit here and I could be really upset about the things that I lost, you know, lost my memory, lost my leg, lost my military career, lost years of my life to the hospital. Um, but instead, I choose to focus on what I've gained. Um, and I use, you know, those struggles um, really as a means to catapult me into doing all of these things now. Um, I am beyond proud of what I did in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, combat meritoriously promoted to sergeant, uh, combat action wings, the whole nine, which I'm pretty proud of, especially as, you know, being being a woman in the Marine Corps. But, you know, that that chapter of my life, um, you know, has really, it's, it's ended, but it's opened up um, so many other ones now. Um, and the hardest part of, of what I dealt with with that helicopter crash, you know, people look at me all the time and say, oh, God, she's missing her leg. That must be terrible. But the reality is, is the hardest part of what I dealt with um, with that crash was was the mental and emotional side of things, you know, losing myself, not having that purpose anymore. Um, and, you know, when I, when I received a medical retirement, I really had to figure out how I was going to repurpose myself and how I was going to continue you know, serving other people. Um, and that's really what led me to what I'm doing now. So yeah, I mean, in the long run, I wouldn't wish what I've been through on, on my on my own worst enemy. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, big picture, it's been it's been a blessing as well. Um, you know, had it not happened, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. So, well, that is such an incredible outlook on such a um, a, a tragedy. And I um, a year later, you did struggle with everything with mental health. How did you kind of overcome? all your obstacles with mental health to get into a kind of point of view and perspective of where you are now of looking at it as a blessing to everything else that you've gotten in your life? Well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there when you said perspective. I have said um, from, you know, really since since I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, the right actions follow the right perspectives. Um, so for a long time, I, you know, I sat there and I, you know, woe is me, why did this happen? Um, you know, my life's over. Um, but then I woke up one day, um, and actually after my dad came to me and said, you've got to be shitting me, uh, the enemy couldn't kill you, and now you're going to do it for him, uh, that light bulb went off. And I realized, you know what, you came home. Yeah, sure, you're damaged, you're broken, maybe not the same person that you were when you, you know, when you first joined the Marine Corps, 
but you're still here and you can still go forth and live a happy, healthy, successful life. Um, and that, you know, that obviously was led to a ton of other things. You know, I realized that, um, I, I hope, hope this doesn't offend anybody, but you know, I realized by wanting to give up, I was being insanely selfish. Um, you know, there's a lot of men and women that never came home, but even more so there's families of those loved ones. You know, there's moms, dads, spouses, kids, brothers, sisters that will never see their loved one again. Um, and so it'd be selfish for me to, you know, to throw in the towel just because, you know, I got a couple bumps and bruises. Um, so I really like the days that I can't do it for myself anymore, though, the days that I don't want to do it for myself, I do it for, you know, all of the people watching, um, you know, my personal family or my extended Marine Corps family, you know, uh, the families of those, you know, brothers and sisters and all of that. Um, you know, I, I remind myself that there's always someone watching, whether it's a, you know, a little kid having a bad day at school or a mom and a dad or adults in their professional career, whatever it is, there's always someone watching. It's always an opportunity to, to pay it forward and to help somebody else. That is an incredible perspective on everything. And kind of circling back a little bit, I meant to ask you this before, to um, the crash and everything. You were not the only one on board, you know, as everything. How close are you with everyone you were on board with on the aircraft? Yeah, I mean, especially like during my recovery, you know, those... My, especially my fellow door gunners, um, they really were. They were the ones that pushed me to, to, to get my shit together. Um, they were the ones that, you know, basically helped me find that outlook of, you know, of continuing the fight. Um, now, you know, my proudest moment, even from the SBs, was my tail gunner actually reaching out to me and saying, hey, I'm proud of you. Um, so we're not as close as we used to be in the very beginning of my recovery. Obviously, everybody's parted ways and gone back to their little tiny towns in the middle of nowhere. Um, but no, we still get in touch and we still check in on each other, especially every anniversary of the helicopter crash, you know, get a hold of each other, make sure everybody's in the right headspace and, um, yeah, you know, express our love for one another because we really would have, I mean, things could have gone totally different if we didn't have the team that, that we had on the helicopter. Um, unfortunately I don't talk to the pilots, um, as much uh there's there's just always been this weird boundary between enlisted and and officers in the marine corps um but as far as i know the last year they're doing okay (laughs) now um you said uh you mentioned you know making your way through the ranks and everything in the marine corps you enlisted right out of high school then at 17 correct yeah yeah so you're a second generation marine and you said you know your parents talked about it whenever uh, is that what inspired you to join the Marines and what kind of led you into the decision of that as a life path? Yeah, um, well, so I, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to join the Marine Corps. You know, I, like you said, my mom and my dad were both Marines. And I remember just like totally idolizing them and looking up to them for, for you know, being, being the superhero to the rest of the world, getting up every morning and putting the uniform on. Um, and I just love the fact that they were doing something for the greater good, you know, whether it was, you know, my mom was just supply, so she was, you know, behind the scenes for everything, and my dad was artillery, and, you know, he did his deployments in the Middle East and everything like that, and I just, I thought it was just super powerful, and, um, you know, I wanted to give my parents a reason to be proud of me like I was of them. Um, one of my earliest memories, um, not that I really have it, um, but I have all of the pictures and everything, uh, was actually when my mom, uh, graduated boot camp and you know i still have this little shirt that said my mom is a u.s marine and you know my barbies were all dressed up as uh you know in dress blues and whatnot so i knew from like a very early age that i wanted to join didn't really know when uh you know i felt like hell with my parents to be able to join so young um i was done with high school by 15 
and did two years of community college and you know I looked around my chemistry lab and just thought to myself like it's time you know you're not being challenged anymore um you know my dad really wanted me to finish my bachelor's degree for sure but I just I just knew deep down that it was it was my time to go um and I got out of my little tiny town and uh right outside of Pensacola Florida and went to the recruiter's office and left um and it's you know, everybody always asks if, if I regret joining so young or if I feel like I missed out on, you know, any of those, you know, growing up experiences. And I don't regret any of it. You know, I'd do it all over again if I could. So after everything happened with uh, your physical and mental um, trauma after the crash, what led you to, you know, snowboarding and rock climbing and all the athletic um, events and activities you partake or partake? Yeah, so when I was still national, um, an organization called Disabled Sports USA reached out to me um, and offered to teach me a winter uh, a winter sport. And initially, like, I didn't care what it was. I was just like, I'll do anything to get me out of the hospital. Um, so I went to my doctors, got medically cleared to sit ski. Um, but when I showed up to this, you know, winter sports clinic, they didn't ask me, you know, what my doctor said. They asked me what sport I wanted to learn. Um, so, you know, in my mind, being from Florida, not knowing anything about snow or mountains, I'm going to go with what looks cool. Uh, so I said snowboarding, and I mean, I hit the ground running with it. I picked it up really quickly, uh, started competing, uh, you know, excelling in border cross and bank slalom, was on the you know, Paralympic development team, and, you know, moving up through the ranks pretty quickly. And um, unfortunately, in 2015, I, I got very sick during a revision surgery um, for my amputated side, and that resulted in the loss of more of my limb and in turn actually stripped, you know, the snowboarding season away from me. So I decided that I was going to try and uh, turn to the mountains in a different way. Um, you know, I, the mountains to me, they represent so much more of my life than, you know, just a sport. You know, they represent my independence and my resiliency and you know, everything that fueled me to, to stay away from the hospital and stay out of the wheelchair. Um, so I was like, all right, well, what, you know, what else is out there? And so I started mountaineering and hiking and backpacking. Um, and that led me to ice climbing and rock climbing. And I just fell in love with it. You know, it's those are the sports out there that, you know, no one can do that shit for you. <laughs> like, it is 100% you putting one foot in front of the other. You know, sure, someone can help you carry some weight, but they're not going to get you up the mountain or back down it. Um, and that just, like... Being able to go out into the outdoors like that in that way, um, you know, it gave me the confidence I could go out and do anything, you know, in whatever aspect of my life. Um, and again, like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think I'm the strongest or the best at it, but I'm, you know, I've got a short term memory problem. So I forget how bad it sucked. And then I just wake up the next day and keep going. Um, so, yeah, I and then I use that to to turn that into a way that I can help others. Um, so that's where this whole Seven Summits project, um, the highest peak in each of the seven continents, and, and the rest of these mountaineering endeavors came from. And, um, yeah, it is self-serving in some ways because it does help me, you know, in my head and my heart. But there's obviously, like, per- uh, purpose and passion behind, behind all of the climbs, too. Now, you did win a championship in snowboarding, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I have been the... Um, USASA national champion, and yeah, for a long time I was fist in the world, so I was pretty all right. <laughs> we'll see if I get back into it this year or not. Uh, it depends on what my climbs look like. <laughs> and you also had some success with swimming as well in the Warrior Games. Yeah, uh, that's another one of those things. Like I, uh, I don't know if I'll ever get back into competing, but yeah, I did. I've done some clean sweeps to the podium um, <laughs> with with three gold medals at a time in competitions and whatnot. Um, 
uh, to segue into some of the other things that I'm going to be doing um, as a means to fundraise and raise awareness. Um, I won't be competing in swimming, but I do plan to swim the English Channel. Um, wow. and, and in turn, uh, when I go down to like Antarctica, I do plan on snowboarding the highest point down there. So still using those, those things, um, you know, incorporating them into different ways in my life. Maybe not for medals anymore, though. <laughs> How did the English Channel thing come about? Um, you know, I just sat down and I really started brainstorming different areas of the world that meant a lot to me and things that I have a passion for, you know, things that make me happy. And uh, it's just, it just comes down to like pushing those boundaries. You know, I wanted, I want to struggle, you know, I'm addicted to, you know, to, to putting myself through those things. I love seeing what my body, especially with these injuries is capable of. Um, but the English channel specifically, um, back in, Geez, 2015, I did a 1,000-mile a walk across the U.K. Um, to honor 25 of my Marine buddies uh, that never made it home or they killed themselves after we got home. And in turn, we were also raising money for a nonprofit over there called Walking with the Wounded. Um, I have a soft spot for, for the Brits, you know, obviously, like, deploying with them and being on British air bases over in Afghanistan. Um, you know, we, we bleed together, we recover together. Um, so I've always just I've had a soft spot for the U.K., I sat down to really kind of navigate what the next um, the next events could be. Uh, the English Channel really spoke to me, and it's another one of those things that's just not being done by amputees. And the snowboarding thing was part of that as well, and you plan to do both of those for charity and everything. Yep. Yeah. So I'm. I'm again. I'm self funding all of them. All of my athletics. Um, you know, I pay for, but they're going to be as a means to to raise awareness and, and fundraise for the Kirstinus Foundation. Wow, that is so incredible. And you, another surprising thing, and I didn't even mention it, is you are only 28 years old, correct? Yeah. (laughs) That's insane. You've done more in 28 years than most people will ever accomplish in (laughs) probably even two lifetimes, so that's insane. Um, I I have a ton of lists of things you've accomplished that I wanted to get into as well, Uh, including you were in Patriot's Day, the movie Mark Wahlberg, did about Boston Marathon and everything, correct? Yeah. How did that come about, and what was your kind of role in that and everything? Um, so uh, I do a number of things to be able to really fund all of these crazy adventures I find myself on, and one of those things is stunts uh, for different movies. Um, and, you know, I fell into it just by being in the right place at the right time. A couple of buddies knew that. You know, I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and they knew that uh, certain stunt agencies or talent agencies were looking for, let's just say, amputees that were willing to, um, to you know, to put themselves to the ringer, whether it was car crashes or pyro or explosions or, you know, gunfights, whatever it was. Um, yeah, they reached out to me, and they said, hey, we want to align you with, uh, you know, with a couple of people, and it really just happened, you know, like I said, right place at the right time, but I fell in love with it. You know, it's one of those things that definitely uh, fulfills my, my need for adrenaline. Um, but, yeah, I'm using Patriot's Day as a specific example. Um, I'm actually, I take both of the explosions um, at the beginning of the movie when it talks about, obviously, the Boston Marathon bombing. So kind of a wild experience, you know, to be um, acting as though you lose a limb in, in, uh, in an explosion, but it's it feels pretty damn real when it's all said and done you know the tears that you see me crying those are real tears <laughs> so um yeah just another one of my little things i guess jill of all trades in a way yeah you do wear a lot of hats and i have another little list here of 
You are a motivational speaker as well, a uh, philanthropist, m- you have multiple business endeavors. Um, can you kind of get into a little bit of the in- business endeavors you do and then the motivational speaking as well? Yeah, um, so my business stuff really just happened because I didn't want to see my friends and family who worked so hard to take care of me while I was in the hospital ever work for anybody else ever again. Um, so of course, you know, not married, I don't have kids, you know, save, save my money while I was in the Marine Corps and for my deployments and whatnot. And so I decided that I was just going to start flipping that money and investing in my loved ones. So there's like, there's a broad spectrum of things now, everything from a t-shirt company to hair salons and, um, you know, a real estate team, you know, there's a handful of, of balls in the air now at this point. Um, but it really was, it was just my way of, of giving back to the people that I care about the most. Um, so that that way they could be their own boss. Um, I love what I do. Um, it's all, there's always something going on for sure. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm extremely proud of, of obviously owning the businesses, but even more so just being able to be in a position to be able to take care of my loved ones. Um, and then the motivational speaking, again, that's really how I fund what I do. Um, you know, on, on top of that, I'm going to school for my doctorate. So it's not like I have the time for a, you know, a nine to five or, you know, a salary job or anything like that. So as I can, I squeeze in speaking engagements and yeah, and I use that to, to help fund my foundation and to help fund my clients. Wow. So you wear many, many hats, and you did have the opportunity to speak at Madison Square Garden? Yeah, in 2015, I spoke at Madison Square Garden. Wow, that's a huge thing as well. <laughs> um, there's so much to uh, dive into and everything, but you did mention, you know, um, single, no kids. Is that a step in your life you plan to take one day, or do you just plan to focus on all your endeavors and continue to live your life in crazy amounts of so many different things and all over the place and accomplishing so much? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd be pretty naive to think that this, you know, high-speed, low-drag life would, you know, would last forever. Uh, but, no, I, you know, I do at a certain point I will settle down. Um <laughs> With that said, it would take a very strong individual to, to deal with everything that I have going on and somebody that would be willing to, you know, to be patient and have, you know, an independent person that could have their own thing going on while I'm juggling everything that I am. But, I, you know, I would. Like, I would love to at least experience, um, you know, being a mom and, and, you know, creating a life. But that said, it would definitely have to be with the right person and uh, there'd have to be a lot there. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be, pregnant or something on on one leg like i mean that sounds like a headache and a half as it is but but definitely something that um i mean it's out there it'll be in the cards one day well if anyone can handle it you definitely can (laughs) (laughs) so with all of this stuff you have gone through um are accomplishing is there something like maybe a book project a movie project that you plan to maybe partake in one day yeah um well so i'm I'm kind of in the works right now um of getting a book put together i mean the reality of that is there is no way i have the attention span to sit down and write my own book um so really trying to find somebody that could you know i could collaborate with to be able to sit down and write or even some form of a ghostwriter um so hopefully that'll be dialed in in the next year or so um and then i'm actually super stoked um i actually i was recently kicking myself in the ass for it because i um probably bit off a little bit more than I could chew, but I actually ended up filming my entire Everest expedition. Um, so everything wow. from training to building the prosthetics to, you know, being out there interviewing the locals, um, interviewing other climbers and stuff like that. 
and wanted to make a mini documentary. So I finally have that going into post-production now. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I've obviously never created a movie and I definitely don't know how to distribute a movie, but hopefully that'll be ready to go by, um, early 2020. So yeah, stay on the lookout for, um, for a little Everest, uh, mini doc that we have coming up. Wow. So I guess another question for you is, do you ever sleep? <laughs> Um, yeah, but I feel like I'm working in my sleep, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this brain of mine just keeps going and going, so. Yeah, you do, honestly, I feel like I've repeated it, like, five times. You do so much. And you did touch on before, you know, your thousand miles through London, Scotland, Wales, and all of that. Can you kind of take me through what sparked that mission? Um, you did mention the 25 uh, Marines, but uh, can you kind of take me through that and my listeners as well? Uh, yeah, well, so I wanted to do something to bridge the gap between the U.S. and the U.K. Um, like I said, I mean, we bleed together. We deserve to be able to recover together. And the reality of what they have going on over there is they do not get taken care of nearly as well as our veterans here get taken care of. Um, and that, that broke my heart. You know, when I started hearing horror stories of, of the prosthetics that they're getting or how they're not getting any form of, you know, any form of um, compensation or health care for their injuries that they sustained overseas, that, you know, that broke my heart. Um, so when I learned about walking with the wounded and what they had going on, I knew they wanted to be a part of that to help them, um, you know, be successful and more importantly, take care of their military servicemen and women. Um, so that's where the whole idea of going over there, um, you know, stemmed from. But then I also wanted to do something personal, something that, you know, would fill my heart, but then also that would fill the, the hearts of the families that, you know, never saw their loved ones again. So um, that's when I made 25 Memorial Dog Tags. Uh, carried each one for 40 miles along with a poem that I wrote um, and left them in significant places all across England, Scotland, and Wales. Uh, it ended up turning into like a pretty powerful movement and people from all over the world ended up getting involved. And, um, you know, we've had people actually find the memorial dog tags and, you know, reach out to the families. And um, it's really just it created this cool community um, of people that are American and, and, and people that are over, over in the UK. So. Wow. 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 Um, Another thing I touched on a little bit before was mental health and everything. So now, about six, seven years later after everything has happened, how do you still, you know, keep up with being in good mental health shape and everything? Yeah, I mean, I've honestly, I've had to really be mindful of my, just of myself. I've had to be patient with everything that I have going on. Um, and obviously what, the amount of things we do can be overwhelming. And sometimes to be totally transparent, I use them as a distraction. Um, you know, like if I'm having a bad day, guess what? I'm going to go find a new project. I'm going to figure out that coping me- mechanism and what works for me. Um, but you know, I, I mean, to this day, I actually just recently called the VA and said, Hey, you know, I'm interested in coming back to, to mental health just to be able to talk to somebody, you know, for an hour, you know, once every other week or something to get some of these things off my chest. Um, and I encourage everybody that I know to really take the time um, to pay attention to your head and your heart um, and and explore those emotions that, that you're dealing with and take the time to process the things that you've been through. Um, I'm a huge advocate for going out and saying, hey, I need help. Go to your therapist, go to a group counselor, talk to your family, your friends. Um, and then actually just recently to be able to deal with, you know, slowing down in my life a little bit, I actually... Um, you know, I actually 
sounds very hippie of me, so it still sounds weird coming out of my mouth. But, you know, I sit there and I meditate. You know, I take 15, 20 minutes out of my day just to be able, you know, to sit with my thoughts um, and figure out where I am and, and how healthy and how sound things are going for me. So, um, yeah, huge advocate for that. Yeah, so self-awareness and, you know, mental health is a big thing. I, you know, try to get people on who preach that and kind of have similar wavelengths, I think, through social media I see and everything with me. So it's really cool to hear you say all this. And speaking of mental health and mental toughness, you know, what you've done already to this point with all your summits is incredible. And I don't think any average human being could ever do that. But how do you keep yourself, you know, mentally stable when you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and all these summits and everything? Um, no, I just, I think about the people that are watching, um, you know, you know, the days that I do want to throw in the towel, you know, I remind myself that, you know, I, I get to do these things, you know, no one's forcing me to climb, no one's forcing me to, to quite frankly go out and, you know, be involved in a supper fest, I get to do those things, um, so again, like, the days that I don't want to wake up and get out of bed, you know, I shift that perspective and say, you know what, there's people out there that truly can't get out of bed, um, and then again, like, I just remind myself of the people that are watching, you know, the people that are too afraid to go out and try something. They're, they're too afraid to go out and fail um, and embrace those mistakes or those struggles. And I want to I want to be that beacon for other people. You know, I want I really hope that there's little kids out there watching me, whether they have a disability or not. I hope they're out there watching me and they're saying, well, to hell with Kirstie, you know, I can see I see her doing it. I can go out there and be better, faster and stronger than her. And then I hope they go out and try. Um, and that's really Again, like even when we were talking about how I got through, you know, the dark days of my recovery, it, it all boils back down to the people that are watching and the people that you can help because of your actions. Hmm. So you're always kind of in the back of your head thinking about being a role model and being a uh, beacon of hope for people? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and again, like it's, it's setting a precedence. It's setting a precedence for other people to go out and chase their dreams. You know, find a passion um, and let it burn within you and, and go after it. Um, you know, life's insanely short, you know, nothing is promised, nothing is promised, nothing is guaranteed. Um, so I just hope that people see what I'm doing by chasing my dreams and, and they go forth and do that with their life. You know, am I saying go out and climb Everest? No, don't climb Everest if you don't want to, but go out and make those, create those personal summits. Um, again, whether it's in school or your career with your family or with your friends or relationships, like create personal summits and go after them, no matter the amount of effort you have to put into it. So, kind of a little bit more of a lighthearted, maybe rapid-fire questions. I'm going to kind of go through a couple things. Uh, what is your favorite music to listen to? Country. <laughs> Finally, someone I have on this show that listens to country, too. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Um, favorite sport to watch or be a fan of? Hockey. Hockey. And do you have a favorite team in hockey? The Blackhawks. <laughs> uh. I am not a huge hockey guy, but when I watch, I'm a Ranger fan, so... <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I can deal with that. <laughs> back to the music before I go back to a couple more questions I didn't ask. Who's your favorite artist or band? Oh, man. Um, that's a tough one, because I really like everybody. Uh, I'd have to say, probably, I, I like old stuff, probably George Jones or Conway Twitty. <laughs> Very nice. So, favorite... Um, food. Sushi. Oh. <laughs> As I answer these questions, I realize how eclectic and weird I am. 
<laughs> not at all. There's been weird people I've talked to on and off the air, so you're perfectly fine. Um, and favorite activity to do outside of every other thing that you do? <laughs> um, from you know your role models and everything who is like a support system or like someone who's constantly pushing you or a group of people maybe yeah I mean obviously my family I'm so blessed to have my mom my dad and my sister for sure but and you know really the people that they're my sounding board um and you know they put me in, they set me straight and they they get me on the straight and narrow uh quite a bit it's just my board uh the board for the Kirstinas Foundation um just good people in there and you know they have they're just like-minded and their intentions are pure and I don't know I really strive to surround myself with people that want to see me succeed um and and we just we really strive to lift each other up so well my final question for you and it's a big one and I ask it to all my guests and it's a little bit more of a broader one especially with you know the life you live and everything you do but what is the legacy you want to leave when it's all said and done uh to embrace failure you know I, I've said it a couple of times I'm sorry if it gets redundant but you know I want people just to go try um, I think all too often we hold, we're our own worst enemy. You know, we're our harshest critics because we hold ourselves back. Um, I want people to think of me and say, hey, you know what? She owned her differences. You know, she owned her scars. Uh, she had a dream and she chased after it. Um, so it's one of those things where I want to be that. I want other people to emulate that. You know, I want people to go out and not feel failure. Feel failure. Feel, God dang it. Fear failure. <laughs> I want those moments to catapult people into the best moments of their lives and become the best version of themselves. Um, 
and I think that just you know that you have to have courage and confidence in yourself to go forth and do that and that's hopefully what I'm embodying right now and hopefully um, what's going to help other people in the future well I feel almost speechless you know I'm doing this interview you are such an incredible and amazing human being and I cannot thank you enough for coming on and telling your story and everything throughout the course of this interview and everything else you do with your foundation um, all the things you benefit and try to do I do want to give you an opportunity to plug the foundation plug your social media plug everything else you do to my listeners and my audience yeah, no, I mean, it would it would mean a huge amount uh, to me for everybody to follow along at the Kirstinus Foundation uh, or even online at our website, kirstinusfoundation.org. And then even me personally, if you want to follow along with my expeditions or what I have going on in, in the athletic communities, it's just my name, Kirstinus, so real original. But, um, yeah, I would love I would love all the support, um, and I'm extremely just grateful. Well, Christianis, you are one of the most incredible and inspirational people I have ever spoken to. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on and for telling your story and once again telling everything you've been through and continue to do. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in all your expeditions, your projects, and everything else you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Once again, I want to thank Kirstianis for taking the time to come on Ambitious. It was so much fun, but most importantly, such an honor to sit down with such an incredible and amazing human being. And if you want to hear more amazing and incredible conversations, tune back into Ambitious every Sunday for new and original content in the sports, pop culture world, and more. We do it different here on Ambitious. And if you want to follow our social medias, go to at Ambitious Podcast on Instagram and at Ambitious with DP on Twitter. Have a wonderful week, Ambitious listeners, and we'll be back here next week with a new episode.